Welcome back to the Time for Heroes podcast. This week's guest is Jamie Crellin. Jamie Crellin is the manager of Free Bridges FC, which are a football team in the ninth tier of the English Football League. We spoke to Jamie about his football career as a player before getting into management and ultimately taking three bridges to their best ever FA Cup run. We also discussed Jamie's coaching academy and juggling all of this with a career in teaching. And at the end, Jamie picked his heroes to come for dinner. Hope you're all enjoying the podcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks very much. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so in many ways by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get them. Another way of supporting the podcast is you could buy me a coffee. Buy me a coffee is a way of donating money to the podcast, which I can then use to to grow the podcast by paying my Zoom subscription so that I can record an interview in one sitting. So if you would like to do that, go to ko-fi.com slash time for heroes pod. That's ko-fi.com slash time for heroes pod. Thanks very much. Yous are all heroes. Right, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Jamie Crellin. You are the manager of Free Bridges FC, which is a football club in the Ismian League, if I've said that right, uh, which is kind of like, what is it? Is it non league, we would call it? Yeah, step four in the non league pyramid. Yeah. So, um, just if you went to start off, how where where you grew up and what life was like for you as a young kid, and just and yes, I, I grew up in Brighton, uh, which is obviously a city which is unbelievable uh, as a place. Uh, went to a school called Saint Nicholas, which is just in Portslade, which is kind of a little town off of Brighton. Um, grew up there, just great family in a loving home, to be honest. But it's really weird, actually. I was talking to. My partner, or I don't know if I was talking to my partner, but I was thinking, I, my childhood's a real blur. It's really strange. Like I've only got real random flashbacks that I have in my childhood. Why, I don't know. Um, but I just knew that from the minute I could walk, my dad had a ball at my feet, to be honest. Like every kid up until now, I just had a ball at my feet. Every day was football. Every evening was football. Every weekend was football. And it was all the way through until 18, really, that that was, that was my life, um, was just football, football. That's all I knew was football, football, football. Mm-hmm. And obviously it had a lot of positives, but uh, also a lot of negatives as well, I found. Did um, education, did that take a hat then? Were you just solely focused on football? Yeah, it, it did, to be honest. We're, we're probably going to it a little bit later on down the line, but it's, I, I was actually only diagnosed with ADHD about 12 months ago. Right. So when I look back at my childhood now, a lot of it kind of makes sense. Obviously, back then it didn't um, in terms of concentration, 
didn't really like school unless it was PE or maths, which was a subject that I was intrigued in and loved. Um, obviously, back then, I didn't know that, that I had ADHD. Um, things like that, obviously, back then wasn't really spoken about. Um, being brutally honest, the kid with ADHD was probably the, the kid that was climbing up the walls. That was all it was known as back then. And kind of when I was at school, it was unspoken about. It was, and obviously... No disrespect to any parents, they probably didn't want to brand any kid with that because it was kind of back then it was um kind of frowned upon, wasn't it? Like just the terminology, there was no real research into it or anything like that. So looking back at childhood and school, that probably did have a bit of an effect on how I perceive school and obviously the education system's great, but it's not great for everyone. Um so yeah, in terms of school, listen, I wasn't a devil child of <laughs> was a little bit cheeky like most, but I just love PE and I love maths. And if it wasn't them two, I was just so disengaged. I couldn't I couldn't think of anything worse than just sitting in a room listening and saying I'm not interested in. So and I guess that's a, a lot of people for but for the lessons I was in that I didn't want to be in was a real struggle. Yeah. Um obviously football was a massive the times I enjoyed football, it was a massive break from that. I just you're in your own zone, aren't you? It's a safe space, you're doing what you love. And it was that was kind of any sport up until 12, 13, really, and then football really took over. Were you supporting Brighton at this time? No, I wasn't. Obviously, back then, Brighton, no one supported Brighton. Uh, obviously, I was playing at the with team, which I was about, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's basically a running track. It's a sports centre. Uh-huh. It's got a, a pitch in the middle of a running track. Um, and then they just made it into their home and they obviously got rid of the Goldstone. Um, but it held about... 3,000, 4,000. The pitch was about 40 metres away from the stands. Um, what makes me laugh is now they've gone, obviously, to their new ground. Is uh, It's back to, it's back to being a leisure centre. And I think like, a, county, a county team play there, which shows the standard of the actual ground. So when I was a kid, no one supported Brighton, unless like your dad played for them or he was a mad, true, true Brighton fan. No one supported them, really. So I've always been United. Manchester United. Yeah, Man United. My dad's... My dad supported them, loved them massively. So I just followed in his footsteps. I think for about six months old, I had a Man United kit. So there was no getting out of that one. Right. And I suppose that's everyone in it. Whatever your dad supports, you go on to support, really. There's prob- probably more people in Brighton support Manchester United than there is yeah, in Manchester. They do, they do, you're right. But it's obviously funny now because obviously I'm in education and I've got a football academy. I see so many kids. Mm-hmm. Like I do football parties and that as part of part of the coaching business I've got. But now it's 20 kids, 18 of them have got Brighton kits on. It's like back in my day, that would have been Man United, Liverpool or Arsenal and that was it. Yeah. But now there's a lot of young boys, obviously, because they've got a premiership town on their home ground. It's right. fascinating for them, isn't it? They see them as like superstars. So what age did you start playing football? Uh, as you, I started playing from, must have been, dad had a ball at my feet from about two. Um, without blowing smoke up my own arse back then from a real young age I was I was quite good and then I went to Brighton Centre of Excellence which was couldn't sign until you was nine but I was there from about six mm-hmm. um, and then from six to nine when you aren't officially signed with anyone I was on trial at like Palace Arsenal Chelsea all of them to be honest at that point mm-hmm. Um but with my dad, he he just worked in like a factory warehouse, so there was no chance I was getting to the middle of London for five thirty, six pm starts three times a week. So I just chose for Brighton, and I played from there till I was from six to sixteen, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
got released at 16 from the Centre of Excellence. It wasn't an academy back then, it was a Centre of Excellence because there was obviously only in League One. Um, and to be honest, from 12 to 16, I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I couldn't stand it. But it's one of those things, once you're in the system, and obviously my dad had put so much time and effort in, looking back now, it must have had a huge strain on his life and it, like what he gave up for me to be able to go and play football with. Training three nights a week and then on a Sunday, he could have been Dagenham, Oxford, Wickham, everywhere. It weren't local. Um, so you're talking someone that gets two days off a week, two of them days he's either watching me training or he's travelling halfway around the country to watch me play 45 minutes of football. Um, so once I got to about 12, I just I just weren't enjoying it. I just didn't like the system. I didn't like the way it was run. But back then, even back then, I was quite aware of that it wasn't right if that makes sense. But I didn't know what wasn't right in terms of the, the way it was run and just the whole clickiness of academy football. I just hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from about 12 to 16, I just didn't want to be there. Um, and then obviously I didn't get a scholar at 16, which was, for me, it was kind of a blessing. Obviously it was hard to take at the time and it was, I think my dad was upset about it. Obviously it was his dream as well, which, so that was a bit upsetting. But obviously after coming out of that for 12 months, it was like, that's a big relief. I'm out of that now. But from, as I say, going back to what I just said, from 12 to 16, I just could never have said that I weren't enjoying it. It just... Do you think then, obviously, you were not diagnosed with ADHD? Do you think that probably had a part in it as well? Maybe the kind of the regimentedness of it as well maybe didn't help? Mm, yeah, I, I don't know if I could link them two together. That's me being brutally honest. I just didn't like that there was no freedom. Like I could, I could play football at school. I love scoring goals. I love celebrating. Like for me, playing school, school football, park football, mates. You know what kids' imaginations are like. You score a goal down the park. You think you just scored in front of thirty thousand at Wembley. Mm-hmm. But Brighton was so regimented and it was so old school and you could only wear black boots and you had to have your shirt tucked in and you had to have your socks pulled up and if you scored, you, had, you couldn't celebrate. It was just, I just didn't like the way it was run. It was like yeah. robots. Nowadays, like, obviously I've got close links with academies. It, it's improved massively. Um, and I just didn't like all the egoness from the parents and I could feel the environment that I was playing in. It just weren't a nice environment for a young lad to be around. For them, it was great because obviously they've pulled one for it. I was actually in Lewis Dunk's year group. Mm-hmm. So they're probably looking at it like they've done their job. They've pulled one through that's gone on to captain of the club. So they've done their job. But the stats, I actually think a lot of the boys in my age group, not many of them up to 25 or even playing football, they'd all quit, which yeah, it can't be a coincidence. What possession were you? Uh, that's a good question, actually. So I, from six to 12, I was a striker. I used to score, and I was scoring, honestly, 100 goals a season, even at centre of excellence, at like under 12s. Um, and then I kind of stopped growing. I, got, I was quite small from 12 to 14. Right. And that's another reason I didn't like it. Because I was, I was quite natural in all positions. And I never really had a set position from 12 to 15. Because <clears throat> if like, the right back was short, I could go and play right back and I'd be good there. If the centre-half was short, I'd go and play down, I'd be good. Whereas mm. where other people couldn't do that, they didn't move them players. Like Lewis Dunk, for example, he was a centre-half. He couldn't have dreamed of playing anywhere else. So he played centre-half for 12 years from growing up to when he was 18. Whereas with me, they never really knew where I was best. Because I was say as a 7 out of 10 in every position, 
I was never really an eight or a nine out of ten in one position. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I mean, so so, sometimes that can be a godsend, and but in other times, I have that chat with a lot of parents now. Like, don't get me wrong, it'd be great, but then if you've also got two players that are better than you, or one player in each position, do you know what I mean? Yeah. On the flip side, if you're just class in one position, he's a right winger. That's where he plays. Sometimes it can be more beneficial. So I started up front and I dropped in, played on the wings a little bit because I was small. So I obviously went from centre forward to move me out wide, which made sense. Then I dropped into centre midfield. Loved it in there because you're just on the ball all the time, aren't you? When I went from 16 to 19 to 20, I played centre midfield and then played the last three or four years at centre half, which to be honest, I felt most comfortable in and I absolutely loved it. But that was just pure fluke, to be honest, playing centre-half because someone was injured one day and again, I dropped back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, geez, that was good and then just carried on there. Well, I mean, I was all, I always played centre-half and then the last couple of years I started playing left-back. Um, but I, I couldn't play midfield. All, all the best players <laughs> play midfield. All the good players play there for a reason. I, I like to just get the ball and get away to somebody that can play. Can do something else with it. <laughs> Uh, so once once you you never get your scholarship, then then what happened there? So from that point, I went on to do because obviously at that point I was I was a little bit lost in life to be honest. Because um, although I knew although I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do, the other half of my brain was gearing me up for me to do that. Does that make sense? I wasn't really planning anything else. Because I'd been at Brighton for so long, from six to sixteen, I thought it was almost a guarantee that I was going to be getting a scholar. Because um, I was still performing well under fifteens, under sixteens, I was always one of the ones that played up a year um, and things like that. So looking from the outside in, it was probably like if you was going to list six or seven players that got a scholar that year, probably ninety-five percent of people would have put my name forward. So although I didn't really want it, subconsciously I was gearing up to do it. Mm-hmm. So obviously when that happened, it was kind of like. Life come crumbling down, and then there was a college lecturer called Dabba Kilpatrick. Um, brilliant coach, brilliant human person, a human being, to be honest. Great bloke. He ran a college program at Chichester College, which is about 45 minutes from me. And he just said, Look, come here, enjoy yourself. You get your education, football's still a good standard. Scouts at that time still watch your games here. So it was kind of a win win, really. Um, so at that point, it was like, it was almost a fresh start for me because all my all my schoolmates were going to a local college around by me, which would have been the easy option. But I didn't really want to do that. So I kind of broke away from all that and just went for it and went to try college. So that was nice three years, to be fair. It was kind of a bit more relaxed. Just started enjoying football again. Enjoyed just being a kid because that's another thing. From 12 to 16, football was my life. Like yeah, My mates were parties and... To be honest, I did. I gave it absolutely everything. I can't look back and say I've got any regrets because I gave it everything I had. My mates were parties, drinking. I didn't do any of that. And I didn't do any of that until really quite late. Like, I didn't really start going out until 19, 20, 21 when I really knew that, like, that dream's over now. Like, start moving on with life, really. So, you, you've done all your college and stuff like that. How did that lead you into teaching then? Yeah, so I've done three years at Chai... Shy College, which was a BTEC sport course. Again, just done it because it was sport. I didn't really know anything else. <clears throat> and then went to went on to Chai Uni and done a PE teaching degree. Um, that, that was tough because I loved it, but I hated it. And there's a real, 
I had a big bugbear on that. So I didn't choose to do the fourth year, which was a, the, the final teaching year. because it was a three-year course and then you've done one more year to get your final teaching qualification. But I just couldn't get my head around the fact that I was on a sports coaching degree and I had so many chats with the lectures about this and I could all see my point, but there was no real answer. It was the fact that we're on a sports coaching degree that, okay, I get you don't have to be totally sporty to be on it, but a lot of these people, they want to go on to be a PT, PE teachers, that kind of group of cohort that wanted to go on to them kind of things in life. And it was, you had a lot of people there that had never played sport, which, okay, granted, you don't have to be great at sport to teach sport. I get that. And there was a lot of people that weren't in shape. It was just, weren't, what's the word, weren't a bit naive, but weren't, a, weren't sports people, if that makes sense. Like their background <laughs> wasn't sporty. This isn't, this isn't being horrible, but they could write and they could read, so they were getting top marks. So when we were leaving that course, like all the practical lessons, I was getting top marks. I was getting whatever. I don't know how they graded it. I can't remember whether it be a five or an A star, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it comes, but that was only like twelve percent of the whole course, and then the other bit was all made up with the essays and and all that. And I, which I was awful. I can't. I'm dyslexic. I've got the ADHD. I just hate writing. Hate mm-hmm. it. Can't stand it. So it was like, I was like chatting to these people. And it's like, like I'm going to come out of a two-two, which is one of the lower uni marks. And you've got someone that one bird. She'd never done the practical. She was so overweight and so out of shape that she'd never done the practical. And she comes out of a first-class degree in sports coaching. And I just couldn't get my head around it. So I kind of, I just had enough of you at that point. I was like, get me into the real world. I was 22, 23, wanted to start earning some money. <clears throat> so I left at that point and I went and got a job at high school as a pastoral pastoral member of staff, which is like support and behaviour and that in a secondary school, uh-huh. which was a real, de- a real deprived school. And I loved that, to be honest. That was great. Um, but as you may or may not know, in education, without that final year, the, the teaching bit, the wage is capped and there's not too many other places that you can go. Um, so then I moved on, like the baby was great, but there weren't anything in it. And then it kind of come a bit of a crossroads where a friend of mine, there was a PE job going, a sports coach job going in a local primary school, mm-hmm. um, which sounded great. So I went and had a meeting with the head there and it just worked well for both. So took that three years ago in the school, just doing the PE teaching. Um, and then the last 12 months, they had this opportunity come up where they get funded places in schools to, for people who have already got degrees, but to go and do their final year that had never done it. Yeah. And at that time, my life, it just felt, it felt perfect. It's something I wanted to do. I wanted to challenge myself. So the school put me through the PGCE, um, which I've just completed over the last 12 months, which again was great. It, went, it was That's good. Brilliant. Congratulations for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So is that you then? Have you got a a full-time place then at the school? Yeah, so I've done my placement, um, which was primary education teaching. So that was, again, it wasn't something I massively wanted to do, but I had to do it to get the qualification. Um, so I've done a year in the classroom teaching all sorts, maths, English, science, whatever the primary syllabus is. Um, got the qualification. And when I come out, the school's amazing, to be honest. They said, look, where's your passion line? I said, that was great, but my passion's still sport. So they gave me a role back doing what I was doing, but on the qualified wage and through the teacher route, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's that's me set now. And then alongside that, I've obviously got a coaching academy, um, which is pretty full on now, pretty full-time as well. So, right. mad, is it? 
how did the coaching academy come along? Is that the three bridges? Yes, no, so I kind of missed a little bit of a gap there, to be honest. So when I was, I left the uni, um, I left, I had a best friend there, kind of at a time, we basically lived exactly the same path. We both got released, both went to the college together, both went to uni together. And I come out and I just said, look, I love coaching kids, let's set up just a little football academy at a time. It was, this was five years ago. So the, the break, when I kind of a crossover, when I started in the school, I knew that I kind of needed some extra income, but I also was going to have a lot of time at half terms and things like that because teachers get all, obviously all that time off in the half terms. Mm-hmm. So let's just start doing little holiday camps to to fill up the time. So it started out as a plan just to do holiday camps around the local area. I think we had about 25 kids on the first camp, which was good. And then it's kind of just snowballed now. We've got about 400 kids training weekly with us. Um half-term camps are rolling about three, four hundred kids every camp. So starts tomorrow, actually. I don't know if half-term's the same like where you are, but our half-term's tomorrow. We've just had a week off there. Uh, oh, just had those already? Yeah. Yeah, because your school start earlier than yours. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I remember that. I had Scottish neighbours once, and they always used to be... They used to come down. So they weren't Scottish neighbours. It was their nan. So they used to come and see nan, but they used to come down about three weeks earlier. We were still at school, but then they used to go back a lot earlier. I remember yeah. that. So, yeah, it started, as I was going back to that, it just started, and it's just snowballed, really. Got contracts with leisure centres, and it's, to be honest, it's a full-time job now, but it's just, yeah, I love the teaching, so I do both. That's brilliant. Where, whereabouts are you doing these then? Are, are you based in Crawley, or are you still kind of commuting? No, nah, so I'm actually, from where I live to Crawley, is about 40 minutes away. Um, so I do it all around where I live, so it's like Lansing, Worthing, Portslade, so it's, we're in about 10 miles of each other, like the four or five campuses that we've got. Right. Um, but that's nowhere near Crawley, to be honest. It's about a 35-minute drive. Yeah, yeah. Post. So how did Three Bridges come about? Were you playing? Were you playing? Uh, oh. it's, a bit random. it's a bit of a random, actually, but we're going to it. It's probably, it's never really been spoken about. So I, when I left, when I left uh, Brighton, I went to Lewis, which was like the top non-league club in the area. Great mm-hmm. club, to be honest. Um, great club. Had a great time there. Um, but the, the club itself was going through a bit of a tough time. Like They're getting relegated out of the conference at the time. So I kept chopping and changing manager. <clears throat> and the manager that I was with, I was kind of going from 18s to that first team transition. So I had a year at first team there, which was great. I was playing in the conference south at 17, 18, which was unbelievable. It's quite, it was obviously like two away from the first step of pro level. So for me, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the manager that was I was with got the sack and went to a club called Hastings, um, which was missions from me. It was about an hour and a half. But again, 1920, I, I said I'd go along with him. It was still a very good standard. So I moved with him to go Hastings. Uh, done two, three years there, which was great. Played in the third round of the FA Cup against Middlesbrough, which was unbelievable. Um, and then I went to Worthing, which is local to me. Um, and uh, that all just went big tall, to be honest. Uh, we had a flight. We had a flight at Guernsey once. We played Guernsey. Do you know where Guernsey is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for some mad reason, they were in our league. In our league. And like, when you played them away, you had to like, get up at five o'clock. Your flight was at like six. You'd get there at like ten. So we're waiting around till kickoff at three, and then as soon as the game's finished, you're put back onto a coach straight back to uh, the airport to fly back to Gatwick. 
Right. So we had we had working away, and I was captain at the time. I was only that we had a really young side. I was only young myself. I must have been 23, 24. Real young side. And um anyway, we was at the airport at Guernsey. I can laugh, laugh looking back at it now, but at the time it wasn't so funny. So we're at the airport at Guernsey. We had like a two-hour delay. This airport's like just like a warehouse, like, there's nothing going on, it's dead. Like it's... so only one of the coaches at the time. And this is where it kind of went wrong. He, he went to duty free and he got like three bottles of vodka. <laughs> and he's come back and he's like, he's like, boys, he's like, boys, we we just have to drink while we're passing time. And I wasn't a massive drinker, I never have been, never have been. So um went to Guernsey, I started drinking anyway. We was all we was all pissed. But the directors of the club were there at the time on the flight as well. Mm. And they were more steaming than everyone, like leading all the party, basically. So I was I'm a young kid, I'm the captain, but at this time, I, I'm not thinking about anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Like setting the standard and things like that. I was too young. So we got on the flight, everyone was steaming. Anyway, the, the club ended up getting fined like 10 grand um, because we was all prattling about in the air and things like that. And the air hostesses reported it and whatnot. So anyway, when we landed, it all, it all come back to the club and they just said, look, the manager at the time, I was a good friend with him. He said, look, I've got to get rid of someone to, to show that we're doing the right thing. He's like, I'm getting rid of three or four. And I was one of the ones that at the time was given the boot, basically. Um, so that's when three bridges come about. Paul was obviously, they were league below, I think, at the time. So he just rang me up on the off chance. He said, do you want to come down? And to be honest with you, I went there. I loved him and I just loved the club and that was it. So it was a blessing, really. So I just absolutely loved it there from the minute I got there. How long were you there then? What, what, what year was that you went to Bridges? That must have been 2016, maybe. 15, 16. So I played under him for three or four years. Um, and then I had an ankle injury, which just ripped me off. Worst day of my life. I cried my eyes out in the physio room. When I had the, uh, saw a surgeon and had an operation, he just said, look, mate, you're never going to play again. So that took a bit of a time to process. But at the time, Paul was kind of, he's obviously chairman of the club and he was a manager of the club. But he was coming to a point where he didn't really want to do it. He got mm-hmm. got a manager in that didn't work out for whatever reason or not. He took back over and then it kind of just fell, fell hand in hand that I was ready to go for it and he was ready to give it up kind of thing. So uh-huh. took the leap of faith then. Yeah, because obviously, as I mentioned, I, I did my research and I, I found these, these clippets on YouTube in the, the dressing room. And that's <laughs> obviously you're in that. So that's when I realised that you were that you played for the club as well. Yeah, I captained so, them yeah, for three or four years before. I did contact Paul, but he's not get back to me. Um, like, I, I couldn't find the full episodes anywhere. But he's a character, isn't he? Even, You've not even changed much there. You're still with the same head of hair and all that. It's at three bridges then at that time. What, what position were you playing? Obviously, if you were getting older or whatever, and like you were picking up injuries or whatever, did, were you playing at the back then? Well, yeah, when I first signed there, I was a centre midfielder. That was the kind of the role that I've had for the last four or five years. From about 23, I was right, my centre midfielder. I'm enjoying it here, getting on well here. And I went to Bridges as a centre midfielder. It was only actually... Been about six months ago in there, the, the centre half, centre half got injured, and uh, I said to Paul, I said I'll slot back in there. It was just at half time. I said I'll slot back into the second half, no problem. 
to be honest, it was the best 45 minutes I had at the club. And from that point, he said, you ain't coming out. And because I enjoyed it, I said, yeah, that's fine with me. And from there, I played centre-half the last four years. But right. up until the injury I had, I've never had injury. I've been injury-free, to be honest, for the most of my career. And mm. then it was just ankle one where I've got no cartilage left. So it's just bone on bone. So there's just no chance of anything repairing it. It's heartbreaking that as well. When you, it's, it's something that you love as much. I mean, I, I, I get, I've been night shift for a year and a half now, and I've not been able to play five sides. And it breaks my heart every every Thursday night when I get into the work and I see the boys going off to play five sides. <laughs> so I mean, if you're if you're playing proper football every week and then you get told. You can't do it anymore. It, it must be heartbreaking. It's it's one of those where you never really understand. Like my dad, my dad's football mad. That was his life football. And he always said to me, he said, just play until you can never play. And then when you're young, you kind of just think, yeah, you're talking shit. And then you, when you actually can't play, you realise that you're like that. It's unbelievable. There's no feeling that replaces it. So were you captain in the <coughs> as well? Yeah, so literally about six months ago, and at Bridges, he made me the skipper, which was quite nice. But we just got on, me and Paul just formed this relationship that was just, it was like dad and son, really. It was just, it was unbelievable. Still like that now, which is nice. Well, obviously, if you captain the club and then you went on to become manager, you're captain at the moment, Brandon. Brandon. Yeah. I see he's coaching. He's coaching the under 18s, is that right? Right, yeah. So is that do you do you think there'll be the same sort of progression? Obviously no pushing you out the door. But <laughs> at some point do you think it would be you'd look at him as moving him into a manager role? Yeah, definitely. Brennan's great. Brennan was actually at Worthing at the time I was there. Right. So when I went to Bridges, he stayed at Worthing because he weren't too involved in everything that happened. Um, so when he when his time up was working, I was actually one of the ones that tried that pulled him across to to the club. Um, not for, I didn't know anything about his coaching back then. He's just a great player. He's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I think what he's done with the 18s has been superb. Um, but he's I, I speak to him a lot now. He's one of my best best friends, and he says thinking of giving up. Like he said, this will be my last year. And I said to him, I said, mate, just keep playing, keep playing, keep playing until you physically can't but that would definitely be a progression route for him definitely he'll become a manager one type one day yeah I mean you can see it you, especially at that level that you're playing at you, you can see what the role of a captain is he keeps the, the team taking over he takes the ball for the, the defence and he kind of links the defence in the midfield he's like a proper midfielder he's like my style of midfielder and you can see that that's that's the, the best role I think to, to get into management because you're sat when you're captaining and you're sitting in that midfield area, you're seeing all aspects of the game. So, yeah, I mean, like obviously, there's been a, a lot of under 18s have been getting first team games with yourself as well. Is that done to your relationship with Brandon and Brandon being able to bring players to you and give them a yeah. chance? Definitely. To be totally honest, when I first took the job, um, the club's reputation was horrendous. It was awful. Um, a lot of the recruitment was southeast London. Um, had no loyalties to the club. Had nothing really. Um, changed some chopped and chopped and changed players every six or seven weeks. There was just no. There was no culture there. There was no philosophy. There was no. 
it was just, it weren't nice place release. That's the first thing I said as soon as I took the job. I said, look, this is going to take three or four years to repair. Um, because honestly, you couldn't re recruit a decent Sussex player for love nor money. Uh, and we're only just getting rid of that reputation now, which is slowly going. Um, when I first took a job and you speak to players, it was like, it was impossible just to convince them to come down and see the place. Um, but yeah, so I said to Paul, I said, we've got to rip this all, rip this all up and start again. Um, so putting a good youth structure in, obviously at Brandon Runners now. And I said to him, I said, this club should have players playing that live in Crawley or live in Sussex at least. Mm -hmm. um, it's what it does for a club, you know, like we were, we were playing home games and the boys were back on the train by 10 past five. Like there's no one at the club after half five on a Saturday. It used to hurt me being a Sussex boy. One or two would stay for a beer and it's like, where is everyone? Like This is, this is a non-league football club that thrives and survives on on that kind of thing. So to be fair, we've we've shifted the whole culture now. I've say 90% of the team are from Sussex or within 30 minutes of the club. If it's the other way going into London, so they're still local to the club, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and just a real family feel and a young feel. So obviously the club's limited to resources. I don't know what non-leagues are like in Scotland, but non-league teams down this way, they spend a fortune. And we definitely ain't got that kind of money. So I've kind of had to look at it from another avenue of going, where can we how can we become good without the resources that other clubs have got? Um, and that was one of the first things we said, look, let's get a youth team in that's going to play the same way as us, got a decent coach that can feed players through. I think now in the first team, now we've got six players that come through the first like the youth team. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see that the it's, a, it's, it's a family club. Like, I mean, I've been like two or three games and, the atmosphere, like everybody's pulling together, everybody's pulling in the same direction. And there's young kids for all the younger teams, they're all there watching the game. So it's it's brilliant the way it's run, and that's only going to get better in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's another thing, to be fair to Paul, when he was obviously doing chairman and manager, listen, that's a big job, it's a tough job for anyone. Yeah. So when I, when I took over, I said, look, you just concentrate on the business side of it from that point of view and I'll run the football. So the place is unrecognisable now from, from where it was in terms of he's now had time to obviously fund and get money into things like the bar and the changing rooms and the things like that that make people want to come to the club. The pitch is unbelievable. Three years ago, that pitch had no grass on it for six months a year. He's had time to obviously now invest back into the club to make it a nicer place for people to want to come. So it's kind of worked well, worked well with both of us kind of trading each other off, if that makes sense. Yeah, probably the next thing I want to talk to you about is uh, your style as a manager and your tactics. Have you, have you got a specific set of tactics that you, obviously, like you mentioned that the under-18s are playing the same style of football as yourself. So obviously you will have a philosophy in how you want to play the game. So how did you come about that and how's that? kind of changed over the years and how do you think you've evolved as a manager? That's a good question. Also, everyone's got the way they want football to be played and how it should look, which I've definitely got. Um, and that was kind of just watching teams and from Premiership all the way down to grassroots, really, just to see how I like football to look, which I've definitely got an idea of what it looks like now. And it's a real trade-off in non-league because obviously you've got A, what you want it to look like, and then B, the resources available mm -hmm. and kind of trading off. This is what it should look like. This is what's available, kind of meeting in the middle somewhere of how it's going to look, if that makes sense. Um, so that was a real challenge in the first six months of understanding, right, 
that's a real clear focus of what it should be looking like. But resources available, you're kind of going to have to, it's going to have to give somewhere of meeting in the middle, if that makes sense, of player capability without being no disrespect. Like everyone watches Pep, but if the right back can't do what Pep wants him to do, he goes and signs a new one. Whereas if your right back can't do what you want him to do, <laughs> it ain't as easy as just going to get a new one. And obviously coaching takes time. So it's kind of that trade-off of what you want it to look like, where we're at, and kind of finding the mid-term of where we're going to go with it, which has been good. The boys have brought into it. It's been great. Um, and yeah, they've been fantastic with it, to be honest. What sort of managers do you look at and admire? To be honest, like, I, I do watch a lot of pro football. I don't watch enough of it as I should. I just find it so far away from where we are um, in terms of our level. It's kind of irrelevant. Like the things I was just saying, it's Pep's great, but everyone could be great if you've got that amount of money, if that makes sense. Like Just teams around by me that have, I've always played against that have been hard to play against, teams like Worthing, Hastings. And it's no coincidence that them teams have had great coaches, if that makes sense. Um, so kind of just taking, watching videos of them, going to watch them at every possibility. When we've played against them, them games have been so hard to play in and they kind of play the same sort of way. So being totally honest, my style comes from what I've found hardest to play against. Mm-hmm. So, so just kind of retaining possession, um, playing that, playing through the thirds, playing out from the back, that kind of thing, which has obviously developed a lot. Like, yeah. That's great because the whole football pyramid's changed now. Like, 10 years ago, everyone just go back to front so quick, didn't they? Um, so sometimes it can sound a bit cliche how we play out from the back, but now we do try and play a bit. But that's the thing, obviously. I came and watched these against Crawley, and for all intents and purposes, you could see the, you could see the, the difference. It, it was a struggle for you to get up the pitch. Really, you, you ended up, you get beat 5-0. Then I came and seen these a couple of days later, was it against Verdinians or something their name was and the difference in the football then like watching you and you could see that you were trying to play up for the bat and you's like you's played the same way the full game and I really enjoyed it that's as I say that's where I kind of fell in love with three bridges so I mean I, I like your defence I thought the defence I watched the, the first half at one end of the pitch and then the second half at the other end of the pitch I just watched the defence the keeper the boy, the, the boy with the blonde tail, Leon, has it? Oh, yeah. Um, excellent keeper. The centre half with the red hair, Tad Bromage, I think his name was. And there was a wee boy, I don't know if he was right back or left back, Joe Stone. Joe Stone, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they were the three, obviously, and Brannon. They were the, they were the players that stuck out for me. Um, Leo, Leo and Stoney are two that have come through Brennan's 18s last year. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. two of the best players there. That, that's what I thought anyway. So why don't we touch on your cup run? Because obviously I comes up the road and I started, I had it using Twitter and I was getting like clips of three bridges every week. And that's FA Cup run, just, it was, it was going and going and going. I thought you were going to get there. I was I was just hoping to, that you were going to get to the, the, the first round proper, so the telly. So obviously, like this is a club record for yourselves getting to this stage in the the FA Cup. Obviously, no a record for you if you've already played <laughs> played against Middlesbrough. But was it hard coaching the boys to up the level for for these sort of games? 
Because you played some big teams, like obviously the the Lewis game was that's a that's a big result for these. Yeah, that was massive. Yeah, the cup run that was great. Obviously, over the, the last ten years, the the club at Bridges we haven't got a pass it out. The first round of the last ten years has been a real stigma, and it's just it's been kind of turned into a bit of a joke now. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting past the first game was the, the big one for me. One for the stigma, and two, obviously at that. That level of the the competition, you nine times out of ten play against someone from the league below, which we did. So it's kind of like it's, it's just a banana skin in it. It's like if we if we win, we're expected to. If we lose, it's it's a shamble. So getting past that first one for us was a real just a mental block, really. Of right, that one's done now. And then it kind of just snowballed. The third round after that, we had again team. Okay, uh, lower league. So it was like, right, let's prepare properly. If we prepare properly and we play right, then we're going to get something out of the game, which we did. Um, and then we played one more, and I think they were deal town, was it? Uh-huh. Again, in fact, the draw was kind of like we played the first three games with teams from league below, but they were they're decent teams. But I knew if we prepared right and we played how we could, we should win them. They're all at home, so. Although the cut run was great, and listen, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I said that to the boys because the boys start going on about bonuses and things like that. <laughs> and I, said, I said, you'll pay to win football matches, and that's what you've done against teams that you should you should beat. Does that make sense? So up yeah. until the Lewis game, it was games that we should have won on paper. I know on paper it's easier said than done, but I'm kind of looking at them going, right, they're winnable games. We've got to go and win games like that. We want to be taken seriously this year, which we've done. And to be fair to the boys, they were great. Um, and then obviously the Lewis one the Lewis one was a big one and I went to watch them the round before and they beat Sheppey 8-0 who were playing our division mm-hmm. it sounds bizarre but even after watching that I said to my assistant I said if we set up properly here I said we'll uh, we'll beat them and I knew exactly I knew they wouldn't change how they play um, and I knew they were kind of where they were dangerous and kind of things like that they got a big number nine that everything went into so after that, we had 10 days for me watching them then to play them on the Saturday. And we just hammered home game plan, game plan, how we're going to set up. Down to a tee, to be honest. And we done went there Saturday, mastered it, and then obviously scored in the 96th minute. Yeah. And like, everyone's thinking, is that the chance gone? And you know, it's like people speak, they're talking, that's your chance done, that's your chance done. But I generally, I generally thought from that night on that we would go on to win the game. Mm-hmm. Because I knew in trouble where they hadn't won many away from home at that point either um, which was surprising but I knew they our places once you get to our places it's quite horrible for a lot of teams like just don't know teams find it hard to play at our gaff so I, I generally hope and believe that we go and beat them so that was obviously great that was an unbelievable night and then Hereford was it was tough but I thought they'd be better than they were and that was a disappointing thing I thought they'd come there and absolutely pop us after 45 minutes when nil nil. um our centre half was strong on his knee, and I should have brought him off. But I went on his word. He said that I'm fit to continue, and he wasn't. And then he kind of copped up for the first goal. And as soon as they got that first goal, it was like mountain to climb, really. Yeah, it kind of it, they took the momentum out of the team as well, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, because obviously, like drawing that game with Lewis one each, and then getting them back to um, Jubilee Field, and you you hammered them. You know what I mean? So the confidence must have been right up. And it, going at half time, now now with Hereford, he just must have been flying. So then a goal like that just takes. We hit the bar, hit the bar in the first no. half. And all. 
we hit the bar and I just I always knew if we scored first in that game we would have won it because I hope the police it would have filled the boys with just clinging on to something it would have just uh, what's the word the adrenaline would have taken them through and we would have been so hard to break down and beat but the minute they get out and then you're chasing the game and more spaces becomes available on the pitch it, that's when it turns into two or three because you've got to go and chase the game as a cup game more spaces become available and it's kind of just as soon as the second comes in it's just a bit it's demoralising I was watching it on Twitter. I was getting like the wee updates. That that was my next hand. There must be some way that you can video these games so that I can I can get watching them. Yeah, yeah definitely. We use a thing called VO. Right. And I can uh, so basically have you heard of VO before? Uh-huh. You use it in the camera films a game without a cameraman. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we use that. So I can I can send you a login, and it's got all our games on there, 18s games on there, and everything. You can have a look at them definitely. Oh, I'll send you a definitely. I'd like to have a look at that because a day kind of I don't know when I'm going to get done next. But obviously, as I say, like I, we came done in the summer, the summer holiday signed up, just getting the shitey friendlies, and then the season starts. <laughs> so obviously, the, the podcast is called Time for Heroes. And what a day at the end as the guest gets to pick their heroes to come for a dinner party. And you get to cook them something, depending on how good a cook you are. So fire away with who your, your heroes are and why. Yeah, good one. I was obviously speaking to my partner about it. When, when you message me on Twitter, it's like, I can imagine why I didn't get stuck on that one, to be honest. <laughs> me, there's two. Well, I'm just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, you just try, try and patch it. I've got my grandparents. The uh, reason for that is, apart from my mum's mum, they all died very early in my life. I've got no real fond memories of them. And obviously, my dad spoke so highly of his mum and dad. I would love to have just seen them grow me grow up a little bit more. Uh, my mum's dad died maybe when I was about 13. So, I, again, no fond memories of him. So, just to have more time with them and for them to experience and see what I've achieved in my life. I would love for that to happen. Listen, mm-hmm. I'm not cooking for anyone <laughs> unless they can have beans on toast. It would have to be a takeaway. Yeah. Um, so a takeaway of them would be, would be brilliant. I'd, I'd love that opportunity. Um, and the second one was not real anyone, but I'd love to sit down with a founder of a big company. Someone like a Jeff Brazos, because something I've done over the last five or six years, I've come kind of fascinated with business and and making money and things like that. And um, just how how big that because what a fascination is of them things once started tiny and they've obviously snowballed and become massive. Uh-huh. Like a t- KFC and McDonald's, all them big firms of how it was just once an idea and then it's turned into like Jeff Brazos started in a garage, didn't he, with these Amazon. And now what that's worth. So just to sit down and be able to talk to them about business and how it it snowballed and because mm-hmm. I've obviously got a small coaching company this over the last five years, that's that again it's grown massively. But when you're in it, you don't really see it happening if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'd love to just sit down with a massive founder of a huge company and say from the start of a bit being an idea to where it is now, just to be able to talk business really, I'd love the opportunity. A strange one, probably. I know. No, that's, these are good ones because they're different. I just find it fascinating. Like I speak, to, I speak to my partner a lot. She's on the dreamer. She's she says she's a realist. Like if you said to someone, "I'm gonna I'm gonna start at McDonald's," they laugh at you, wouldn't they? This... Once up on a once up on a time, that started as one little burger shop, and I just find that fascinating. Like 
for me, I, I sit there every night and to my partner, I'm like, I want to start this, I want to start that, I want to do this. I mean, all these ideas are, are mad crazy. And she's like, don't be stupid. You don't know nothing about food or you don't know nothing about this. And it's like, <laughs> so it's got to start somewhere. So no, I just love the opportunity to start with them people and just chat to them about how that's turned out so successful. A lot of people say superstars, wouldn't they? I've never, well, I've always loved football. I've never been fascinated with footballers. Never. Maybe because I think maybe once I was close to becoming that, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I've just never been fascinated by footballers. Like when people, when we get photos with them and things like that, I just, I hate all that. Like they're just human beings with a lot of money. I think to build businesses, I'd rather sit down with a businessman and talk about someone that's had to really grasp and go from dark days to get to where they are now. I just find that fascinating. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's good, man. That's something completely different. Um, everybody, everybody usually picks Liam Gallagher. So, sorry? <laughs> everybody usually says Liam Gallagher or John Lennon. So, to have <laughs> something different is um, top notch. And you're just going to phone in a takeaway. Yeah, no cooking here, that's for sure. Well, that's just about that. Just one question, actually, before we go. Obviously, you're a teacher and your manager of three bridges. So what do you find harder? Who do you find it harder to manage? This group of players or your pupils? Three bridges all day long. <laughs> all day. Kids are great. I love kids. And I can I seem to have this knack of being able to have kids here at the palm of my hand. I've always got their attention. I can capture their imagination and off I go. Whereas I speak to my assistant all the time, managing 16 blows with 16 different jobs that have all had 16 different days graft with egos and different personality. It's tough, really tough. It's something, again, that I'm, I'm enjoying learning about because um, I'm massive on, like, cultural identity and and things off the pitch that kind of forget, forget, get forgotten about a lot of the time. Um, I try to bring that into the club of signing the right people and being good humans before being good players. Um, which I don't think is done too often. Me, a lot of people are oh, signing him. Signing is great, but it's like, you know, what's he like as a person? What does he do for work? What's his family like? I try to dive a little bit deeper into the background before. Um, but yeah, definitely bridges with all that background on. That's for sure. Right. And lastly, where where do you see yourself be the end of the season? Because you're kind of. Results have kind of been a bit indifferent due to, say, due to the cup run. So what, what do you see yourself doing for now at the end of the season? For me, the, 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 I said, I'll say the same to Chairman, the same time to everyone. For me, we've just got to achieve more points than we did last year, which means we're progressing. We've got 44 points last year. If we can get to 50 this year, it'll be great. And that's one thing that I'm struggling with now is we really struggle with consistency. Uh, one week we're great, one week we're awful. But when you look at it, that's that's children. But they're still they're still kids. A lot of them, so it's it's hard to find that consistency of that. Um, but yeah, end of season. If we finish top 10, 50 plus points, that's a great year for us in terms of where we should be in terms of finances and things like that. Well, that's brilliant. I hope you can achieve that, uh, and I'll keep following for afar. But I'll try and get over to this link that you're going to give me. Uh, yeah, definitely. Next time you're down, give us a shout. We'll meet for a beer down there, definitely. Yeah, thanks very much, Jamie, for coming on the podcast. That's all right, no worries at all. I'll speak to you later. Top man, bud. Take it easy. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. 
if you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes Podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes Podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes Pod at gmail.com. You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly, enjoy. Cheers!